Today on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We can't generate our own righteousness. We may call it righteousness. We may think we're good people. But all we have to do is take a look at God's law. It's not a matter of what we call good. It's a matter of what God calls good. And God says good isn't good enough. You have to be perfect. You have to be pure. You have to be sinless. Nobody can measure up to that except his son who came and died in our place. Welcome to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church located in Redwood City, revealing God's grace through God's truth. Today, our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, will return us to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14, a message we began last week, starting off on the right foot. It's New Beginnings, part one, a look at the new year ahead through the eyes of the Apostle Paul what he had, what he considered what he had, and what he looked forward to. A good example for us to follow today. Please join us with this edition of Graceful Truth. Once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse. In verse 7, basically it tells us that he wrote off all his human religion. Just wrote it off. Just said, you know what, That's, it's nothing, nothing to me anymore at all. He says in verse 7, the things that were gained to me, that's what he's talking about, these I have counted loss for Christ. See, Paul was looking at his religious balance sheet and he calculated. He was counting up the gains and he's counting up what he had in Christ and, and it's almost as if he spread out his little bags of gold on the table and looked at each one and said, is this really worth it? Or should I take Christ? The Judaizers would have been delighted with every one of his little, little bags of gold that he had that we just looked at. They would have been, you know, boy, off the hook with all that stuff. Circumcised the eighth day, a stock of, the, of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning a law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, blameless, See, all those things impressed the religious leaders of Christ in, in Paul's day. But it says that he wrote them all off. He says, all those things were gained to me, but you know what? I counted them as loss. He picked them up, and he put them on the scales, and then he looked at Christ, and he said, you know what? I can have one or the other. Which one is it going to be? And he carefully accumulated gains as a religious man and gains as being in Christ. Because he couldn't have both. He knew that. See, that's a mistake many of us make. We think that we can have both. We think that we can have the world and have Christ. You can't. The Bible is very clear about that. It says if you, if you love the world, then you, you don't love Christ. There's no way. But on the road to, to Damascus, he made that decision. He didn't hesitate a moment, he picked up everything that was treasure to him, all his religious trappings, and he threw them away, the Bible says, as if they were trash. He used the same irony to describe his gains and losses as a religious man. All he had gained was loss, he says. 
What he had considered assets at one point turned out to be what? Liabilities. That can happen overnight as many people have found with this economic downturn and everything. Boy, once people took pride in everything that they had and all this stuff and, every, and all of a sudden, boy, the economy changes. Whoa. Now I got the nice boat, the nice car, the nice, you know, da-da-da-da-da, but I got to pay for it and now it's becoming what? A liability. Since his one liability consumed his assets, he would have been left spiritually bankrupt if he had not gained Christ. And Christ helped him change the whole scenario, change the whole picture. And so Paul gladly wrote off all these human religious trappings for Christ. See, and when someone comes to Christ in a genuine way, that's what happens. So many times I'm concerned about people who are in a certain religion or in a certain cult and they say they come to Christ, but they still hold on to all the religious trappings. And sometimes their reason is, well, they need to hear Christ and I'm going to stay in this place and, and try to share Christ, but you're not going to turn that around. That's something God has to do. I know because I came out of that religious trappings background and I had a desire after I got saved to go back and to kind of infiltrate that church and try to correct it but that's not how God does things so he wrote off his human religion he also wrote off his human resources look at what it says in verse 8 yet indeed I also count all things loss not just the things that were gained to me the religious things but all things for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I mean, when you stop and you think what he gave up. Paul gave up everything for Christ. He gave up his home in Tarsus. He gave up his parents. He gave up all hope of a settled home life for the most part. He had given up his Jewish religion. He gave up his ambition to climb the ladder to the top so that he could even rule the Sanhedrin one day. Very prestigious thing to do in his religion, his culture. He had given up his health. We don't think of that. But he actually gave up his health to hardships, to floggings, to perils, to even being shipwrecked on occasion. He had given up the smile in favor of the Jerusalem church to minister to the Gentile world. He had given up his freedom. One day the apostle would even give up his life. Why? Because he says here that he counted all things lost in order to know Christ. In order that he might know Christ, he was willing to put everything else aside. The apostle would allow nothing, absolutely nothing, to come between him and his Savior. That's a good lesson for us. Would it be to God that our heart's desire would, would be that nothing come between us and our Savior? It says that he was even prepared to write it off, it says, as dung as worthless refuse, anything that would interject itself between him and his Savior. He was willing to throw it in the garbage pile. You know, if there's one person in the Bible I'd want to talk to, obviously, besides Jesus, it would be the Apostle Paul. And I'd like to ask him the question, if he ever felt the loss of the things that he gave up. Because he gave up so much. And I think here's what he'd say. I think he'd look at us in astonishment and say, loss? Of trash? What loss? I have seen Christ face to face. Bright as the morning, fairer than the day. 
lovely beyond all loveliness. I have looked into his eyes, and that is all I ever see. I have heard his voice, and that is all I ever hear. It rings like the sweetest music in my soul. I love him with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength. I live only for him. In the strength of the heavenly vision, I live on and on anticipating the day when I shall see that face and hear that voice once again. Loss, all I want is to win Christ. To hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. No other call to consecration can compare with Philippians 3.8. Talks of stripping off everything that we might see Christ as Paul saw him. I mean, if we do, this world, I guarantee you, will lose all its power to attract us or even to distract us. We would say what Paul had already said to his Philippian friends, for me to what? To live is Christ and to what? Die is gain. I pray you can say that this morning. That's what he discounted. He wrote off his human religion. He wrote off all his human resources. But see, when you become a Christian, when God transforms your life, he not only allows you to put those things aside, but he also gives you new desires. He changes you. And in verses 9 to 11, we see a little bit about what desires Paul has now that he's in Christ. What did he desire? Verses 9 to 11, first of all, this talks of salvational truth. This is what we're talking about here, salvational truth. There's salvational truth that talks about how we're saved. And then there's sanctifying truth that talks about after we're saved, how we live a life that's honoring to Christ. Well, first of all, he talks about salvational truth here. And he, he points directly to a position that we have to enjoy in Christ. Look at what it says in verse 9. He says, I counted all this stuff as lost, but look at what I got. He says, and be found in him. In Christ. Be found in him. Do you know, beloved, that salvation is largely, it's simply a matter of one's position? That's what you can boil salvation down to. If you have to boil salvation down to one word, I would say position. Where are you at with Christ? Because an unsaved man, someone outside of Christ, is without him. He's without God. He's without hope. Ephesians 2.12 says that. The man who is saved, the man who has found Christ, who has yielded his life to Christ, can say, as Paul says, that I want to be found in him. Dr. R.A. Torrey, he was the first president of the Moody Bible Institute, he was talking to a man one time in need about his need for Christ. And he was talking to him specifically about why he needed to be regenerated or born again. And the conversation goes as follows. The man raised an objection. His objection was this. I know some people, he said, who make no pretense of being Christians. But they live upright lives. They're kind. They're generous. They're exemplary. And you know what? I also know people who say that they're Christians. But they live far less than exemplary lives. R.A. Torrey replied, well... Let me tell you, it's all a matter of what state you are in. And then he drew two rectangles, and he pointed to one, and he said, this rectangle represents the state of unregeneracy. Let's liken it to the state of Colorado, he went on. In the state of Colorado, one man 
might live up here at 14,110 feet on Pikes Peak. Another man might live down here at sea level. Another man might be way down here working thousands of feet below the surface in a mine. But you know what? All these men are in the state of Colorado. He went on, he said, so just is the state of unregeneracy. One person might live on the mountains of morality. Another might live a very ordinary kind of life. And yet another might live down in the darkness and dirt and vile and wicked life. But they're all in the same state of unregenerate people. We're born into that state. Then he pointed to the next rectangle and he continued. He said, this is the state of regeneracy. You get out of the state of unregeneracy and into the state of regeneracy by being born again. In the state of regeneracy, one person might live on the very high spiritual plane. Another person might live a very average Christian life. Another might live even a backslidden or even a somewhat carnal worldly life. Some might even fall into serious sin. But you know what? He's still in the state of regeneracy. Indeed, his outward life might compare very unfavorably with the man, with the life of the man living on the mountain of morality in the state of unregeneracy. But one man is in the state of regeneracy and the other is not. The moral man living in the state of unregeneracy is devoid of spiritual life and is lost, no matter how moral he is. And yet the person struggling with sin in the state of regeneracy has spiritual life, even though for a time being it may not even be evident God's word says that he will be saved in spite of his poor showing as a Christian. See, it all depends on what state you are in. If you're not born again, you can be. You can pass from the state of unregeneracy into the state of regeneracy by coming to Christ, by acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior, repenting of your sins. See, to be found in him, beloved, is salvational truth. To have Christ found in us is sanctifying truth. To be found in him means that when God looks at me, he sees who? He sees Christ. To have Christ found in me means that when other people look at me, they see Christ. To be found in Christ is really, the word of God says this, an unsaleable position. Once you're in Christ, you're in Christ. That allows me to sleep at night. Let me tell you, if if the only thing I had to rely on was my goodness... Or am I trying to be good or whatever? Man, I I would have been lost the day after I was saved. It's God who saves us. It's God who keeps us saved. So we see a position to enjoy. Be found in him. I ask you this morning, are you found in Christ? Have you come to a point in your life where you've looked at everything, all your religious trappings, all your good works, everything, and said, you know what? It's not adding up for me. And there may be some truth to this. I want to let you know you can be found in him. You yield your heart to him. Secondly, It's also a possession to enjoy here in verse 9. We see a possession to enjoy. He says in verse 9, he says, Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. See, you have to understand, and this is why I said it's important to give you a little background on Paul. Paul had once worked very hard to live up to a certain standard of behavior that God could accept in his mind and in his religion. And he had taken very much pride in his achievements as a religious man. I mean, can't you imagine the Apostle Paul before his conversion, maybe laying in bed one night, naming the commandments one by one, evaluating his performance. How am I doing in this area? Let's see, thou shalt not have any gods before me. Yeah, I've kept that one. Never turned aside to a false god. I've worshipped Jehovah ever since I was old enough to know his name. I shall not make any graven image. Bow down to them. Well, I've honored that, done that. Never been involved in any kind of idolatry. 
There's a boy in Tarsus, a pagan city where many idols were often seen around. I learned the folly of worshiping such things. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. Lord thy God in vain. I've never done that. I consider the name of the God to be a holy name. To be revered. Not to be spoken of lightly. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Well, I've kept the Sabbath. He's probably going through his mind thinking this. I've not worked on the Sabbath day. I've studied the minutia of the details that the rabbis added to the Sabbath keeping. And, and I approved of them. And I sought to observe them. Honor thy father and mother. I've done that. My parents have always reigned in my affections. And I've sought to please them and obey them. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. See, in his mind, he's probably thinking, Hey, I've done all these from my youth up. Nobody could accuse me of breaking these laws. So far, so good. Thou shalt not covet. Shouldn't have any evil desire. He runs into a little problem here. Because in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, he says this, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. That's the one that caught him. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of lust. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. And it slew me. The one commandment in his mind. You say, well, didn't he kill Christians? Well, yeah, but in his mind, that was the right thing to do. When he wrote to the Romans, Paul looked back on his pre-conversion days. He showed how his supposed judgment-proof righteousness had been breached. In the titanic of his, of his own ability to sail triumphantly to heaven by his own efforts, struck the iceberg of that 10th commandment. And there was an enormous gash made in his righteousness, which is of the law. And all the seas of sin came streaming in, and he was sunk. He realized he was without Christ. So Paul discarded all that false righteousness. He put it aside. See, you have to do that if you're going to come to Christ. You can't look at yourself as somebody who's righteous and not in need of a Savior and get saved. That's just, it's not going to happen. You have to realize who you are without Christ. We can't generate our own righteousness. We may call it righteousness. We may think we're good people. But all we have to do is take a look at God's law. It's not a matter of what we call good. It's a matter of what God calls good. And God says good isn't good enough. You have to be perfect. You have to be pure. You have to be sinless. Nobody can measure up to that. Except his son who came and died in our place. He discarded all that false righteousness the last point this morning, he discovered a flawless righteousness. It says there in verse 9, The righteousness that comes to me is by Christ, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. See, uh, the secret to a flawless righteousness, if that's what you're searching for, the secret is Christ. That's the only way you can have a flawless righteousness. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, by the life that he lived, he produced a genuine righteousness. It says it's the righteousness which is of God. He kept all the commandments. There was no law that could leap out and slay him. He kept the law, law of God, not only to the letter, but also to, in spirit. From the moment he first drew breath 
until the moment he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was perfect in every way. And he laid down that sinless life as an atonement for our sin. To cancel the debt that we have accumulated by our own sins, by our own failures, to produce the behavior that God could accept, he paid our debt. We used to sing a song. And the song, when he paid a debt he did not owe, he paid a debt that we couldn't pay. But that wasn't the end, beloved. In the end, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says that he lives forever. In the power of an endless life. And by the Holy Spirit, he regenerates us. And he comes to live within us. As he once gave his life for us, now he gives his life to us so that we can stand before God. Not in the taggered rags of our own righteousness, but in his seamless robe of Christ's righteousness. We need to come to terms with who we really are in this world. And Paul did that. He realized that, you know what? God is a God of second chances. Yeah, he did a lot of bad stuff. But you know what? God gloriously saved him. And it wasn't because he was some big religious fanatic and all that. He, he saved him because he put his love, his desire to save him. You say, well, why does God save some people and not others? I don't have a clue. That's God's will, not mine. God chooses who will be saved. Matter of fact, he says, basically even before the foundation of the, of the earth. So it's not based on our own righteousness that we're saved. It's not based on our talents. It's not based on our giftings or our personality. God doesn't need us, but he desires us to know him in a personal way. And maybe there's some here this morning who need to cry out to God and need to start off on the right foot this new year, 2010. Beloved, we don't know what this year will hold. I guarantee you some of us here today, maybe I'm not even be here in 2011. You may not even make it halfway through this year before you're whisked away into eternity. You don't know. See, that's, that's one thing. Death is one thing you're not going to escape. We all face it sooner or later. So we want to ask this morning, do you want to start off on the right foot with God? Do you want to have a new beginning as Paul did? We're going to continue this study next week, but I pray that if there's anybody here who is yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, that maybe 2010 or 2011 will be your year and you'll be willing to step out in faith. That's what it is. It's faith. If you're waiting to have all the I's dotted and T's crossed, forget it. That's not faith. God wants you to trust Him. Well, Pastor Steve will return in just a moment to close out our time together. But first, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust that you're currently involved in a Bible-teaching church in your area. If not, we would love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade 5. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web, gracefultruth.org. All is promised now, once again, to close out our time together. Here's our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. And Father, we even thank you for his background in all that he uh, was raised in, in this Jewish 
religion and, and all the, the trappings of his religion, even though it was looked up to as something to be attained to, sought after, we pray, Lord, that you would just show us maybe we're stuck in our, our religion. Maybe we're stuck with the trappings of this world. Maybe we have yet to throw it all aside and count it as rubbish. Lord, I ask this morning, if there's anyone here, Father, you know the hearts. I pray that they would cry out to you. Lord, you're a God who hears our prayers when we cry out to you from a humble heart for you to save us. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the prayer God wants to hear from your lips. He'll take care of the rest, but he'll answer that prayer this morning. And for us Christians, I pray that as we look to this new year, that we would not forget our responsibility to share the good news of the gospel with those around us. Lord, there's so many people that are caught up in their, their religion and in their own self-righteousness. It's not that we don't have an audience. There's an audience everywhere. So many times where we don't have the courage. We don't have the passion. We don't even have the desire sometimes to share your word with others. Lord, I pray that that would be different in 2011. Lord, that we could come to the end of this next year and look around and see people who have been gloriously saved by your grace and mercy as a result of us going out into a world that is lost and dying and sharing the good news of the gospel, that you would do that work in people's hearts, that you would draw men onto yourself. We ask that in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. And amen to that. We trust you'll have a blessed week. Thank you for joining us today. And until next week at this time, God bless you as you seek God's graceful truth in your life. <laughs>